0: Well, we started in Sheffield, then we went to London. This week, we're going a bit further afield. (music) That's right, over the last couple of weeks, I've been in the United States of America, dashing around over the East Coast, from New York to Boston to Rhode Island, Vermont, New Hampshire. I ended up travelling across Connecticut on a bus at five o'clock in the morning. Not sure if that counts as actually visiting Connecticut, but I was technically there and I had a great time. It's the reason we didn't have uh, a podcast two weeks ago coming out, uh, but I'm back now. And I wanted to do something of an America special episode. Um, I was kind of living by the seat of my pants for a few weeks and not really knowing where I was going to end up and therefore I didn't do much setting up of interviews in advance so I've only got a couple that I've picked up on the go. Uh, So it's not entirely an America special episode but it mostly is. Um, I saw some great things in America that I didn't manage to catch on the mic. Uh, I was walking through New York and I found a tiny patch of land that was a public garden just uh, used to be derelict wasteland and people had come along and turned it into a little garden, anyone and everyone could go in, could grow stuff there Uh, you could get drinking water there and it was really lovely and nobody had sabotaged it with beer cans you know which is always nice Uh, there was also lots of networks of soup kitchens uh, which you know not quite uh, what we're getting at with social eating spaces but they are similar and they are good Um, so that was really nice Um, And I got to interview Molly Ellis, who I was staying with uh, in Providence in Rhode Island, uh, who works for Farm Fresh Rhode Island. It's an organisation that looks a lot at uh, food from uh, the field to uh, the fork to how we get rid of it and tries to make that whole process more sustainable. So I had a good chat with her and I'm going to play you that in a second. We talk a lot about uh, food stamps and SNAP, which is Supplementary Nutritional Assistance Programme. And it's basically cards which people on low incomes get and they can take them to uh, participating food stores and get uh, a cheap meal, uh, a cheap food of some kind. Uh, So we talk about that and we're going to play that in a second. But first of all, let's uh, crack out the theme tune.
1: So my name is Molly Ellis, and um, my organization is called Farm Fresh Rhode Island. And what does it do? It's a um, local food distribution um, organization. So we do that in several ways. We have programs for um, wholesale distribution to restaurants and other wholesale customers, and we um, organize farmers markets. We do... Various nutrition education activities at um, farmers markets and libraries, schools, senior centers, um, and we also have a um, job training program for youth um, where they run a cafe and um, and uh, create value-added products like applesauce and pickles from the surplus harvest.
0: Oh, that's nice. Okay, so there's like a, there's like a food waste element to you.
1: It's less waste and more, um, it's, it, we're, we're still purchasing the ingredients that go yeah. into that, but they are, um, you know, they might be like seconds, um, or B grade. Yeah, um, sure,
0: sure. Yeah. True. So, so you, you try to like, the, uh, nutritional training you do, is that like teaching people to have like more balanced?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, uh mostly youth focused there's some youth and some senior focused um and it's we kind of think of it as like food systems education and like trying new things education more than um the 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 USDA has a curriculum called my plate that says you know your plate should be half fruits and vegetables and you know this percent of your diet should be meat and bread and you know protein or whatever um and and our uh curriculum we try and think of as more like giving people the opportunity to to taste something new or um to to think about where their food comes from or um how how far it travels to get to their plate Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um yeah is there a lot of
0: food poverty in rhode island
1: yeah um i don't know the numbers off the top of my head but um there are, let me think, um, I think there are about 60,000 people in, um, using food stamps in, Mm -hmm. in Rhode Island. And, um, we track how many people are using SNAP at farmer's markets and, it's about 0.1% of the SNAP dollars that are... SNAP is Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which is food stamps. Okay. Um, and so it's about 1, 0.1% of the um, SNAP dollars that are spent in Rhode Island or spent at farmer's markets. But um, we try and, try and make a tiny drop in the mm-hmm.
0: bucket. Are there many, like, sort of social eating spaces in Rhode Island, or is that not really a thing? Um, are there any places, like kind of like food banks but where people can Yeah, like a soup kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But like that that catered to all different parts of the community rather than just one part. Um I mean it, it, it's probably more like
1: one-off events where you'll see that like there mm-hmm. was a um there was a community dinner that the mayor's office put on um out in Kennedy Plaza, the um bus hub of the city um where uh, it was just open to anyone and, and they had a really long table and they everyone got a meal. But um, there's an organization that I've heard of called Food Not Bombs that organizes mm-hmm.
0: community meals. Um, with soup kitchens, what's the feeling about them? Because in the UK with food banks, there's like a lot of negative connotations and people like not wanting to go to a food bank until it's absolutely necessary and then feeling kind of ashamed that they have. Like, is there that feeling out here? Probably
1: to a certain extent. Um, I know there uh, there is less stigma about food about SNAP about food stamps here in Providence than there is in some areas of the state and of the country. Um, Do you know why that is? Um, I think in an urban area, a lot of there's a lot there's more poverty than in a suburban or exurban area um mm. so you know if if everyone in your neighborhood is using snap then you have less stigma about using it yourself um we also uh it it um you receive your benefits on an electronic benefits transfer card um so it's not like you're using paper coupons it's, it just looks like you're swiping your debit card oh okay
0: so nobody kind of knows
1: yeah i mean you can you can tell if you're like looking at someone's card but yeah um, sure yeah it's it's less Oh, uh,
0: that's clever yeah yeah that's good mm-hmm. and that was molly ellis uh i really like the idea of removing the stigma of uh, taking these cards along by making them look like just any other card i think that's a really good idea because that is one of the big problems with feed banks uh so Molly and her husband, Alex then took me to a farmers market in Providence, which is not at all like a farmers market in the UK. Uh, it was, there was music playing, bike fixing, food was being served, I had a great, you know, curry and uh, and the sun was shining, It's a beautiful sunny day in Providence. There was also a light breeze, which is why there's a little bit of a distortion in the recording, I forgot to bring my uh, wind blocker for the microphone. Uh, and right in the middle of this farmers market stroke fate, because that's what it felt like, uh, was this farm fresh stall and Molly took me along to it and introduced me to Alexandria Niles, uh who's just completed a degree in sustainable agriculture and food systems uh, and she was about to graduate that day, she was about to run from uh, manning this stall to her graduation and she found time though to tell me a bit about food justice projects in the US and this is what she said.
3: Um, so, I started studying this about eight years ago. Um, and in that time, I've seen a lot of improvements in each of those areas that you mentioned. Okay. Um, especially kind of those kind of buzzwords that you just said. Um, are yeah. Uh, they're being used, and people are getting familiar with them, especially as. Uh, chefs start to become aware so chefs of restaurants um, are getting connections with farmers because of the farm to table movement and so um, smaller farms who have those values already and are using those values already um, are able to kind of promote at that level with the restaurants that being said there is still a lot of work Uh to be done and Especially not even at the individual level, mostly at um, organization levels being held accountable.
0: Sure. And do you guys have like food banks out here? We do. Yeah.
3: Um. We Rhode Island has currently one mm-hmm. food bank, I think, because um, we're so small. With the whole of the yeah, I mean, uh, this is the
0: smallest state in the. It US, is. It is. My UK <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so we do. Uh-huh. Uh, is it in Providence? Uh, no.
3: Uh, yes. The okay. HQ is in Providence, I believe. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but.
0: OK. That's cool. Um, good luck with your graduation. Uh, thank you thank so you. much. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And that was Alexandria Nevis there. And uh, yeah, so that was my trip to the US. It was great fun. I'm already plotting how I can get back there in some way. But I had to fly back to the UK, unfortunately, at some point. I got back last week. And two nights ago, we organised an event at Food Hall, which I want to tell you about briefly, which uh, I think I mentioned on this podcast before, uh, advertised it on here. Um, And this was basically a campaign update stroke getting... Uh, opinions from people who came along about their ideas for the campaign. We gave a little talk where we are now, what we hope to do in the future and then we had some discussion points with the audience and they gave us some really good ideas. Uh, There was a Labour councillor there, a former charity sector worker, some other really interesting people Uh, and they asked some great questions. I think Particularly for me, one of those um, ones was how do we make sure that we keep the campaign open to new voices and new ideas outside of the central working group uh, throughout the campaign. And I think for me, the conflict with that one is, yes, we need to keep it open and we need to keep these ideas coming in and we need to keep it grassroots, but at the same time, we need to make sure there is a central direction that we have. uh, Because if everyone's contributing ideas Completely freely, then it's very hard to take those decisions and move forward. So, thinking about how we can balance those two concerns. Uh, And the other question that was raised uh, from the former charity sector worker was about making sure that organisations that are not part of the National Food Service uh, continue to receive funding because there is a danger that uh, they'll be less likely to receive funding if. They are in an area that's considered to be well-funded, but they are themselves not part of the National Food Service Network and therefore might struggle more to get funding. Um, And actually, I'm hoping to get um, this person who raised that on the podcast because she has some really interesting stuff to say about all of this. So hopefully we'll be hearing more from her soon. And just a bit of housekeeping and coming up, I'm really excited that we've arranged a date for the Newspeak House event in Shoreditch in London. That's going to be on the 15th of July in the evening, probably starting, uh, people arriving from six o'clock, we'll start talking about 6.30. And it'll be similar in uh, format, half an hour of us telling you what we've done and then an hour of us getting your views and your expertise and your ideas and then about eight o'clock we'll all sit down and have some food because it is the national food service after all. Uh, So do come along to that 15th of July and do tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell that person down the pub that you run into at eight o'clock this evening to come to that if they are anywhere near London or even if they're not. Um, And just one more thing before we leave. I'm going to leave this episode on a sad note I'm afraid. Um, A couple of weeks ago on the 14th of May uh, Charles Schofield who came to Food Hall quite a lot, he was there most cafe days, uh, passed away and it was a bit of a shock to me. I wasn't expecting him to go. He was only 64 Uh, and he was a great guy. We had some fantastic conversations. So I'm going to leave this episode uh, with a small tribute to Charles.
2: So Charles was a really regular visitor of our cafe um, and a really valued part of our community. He challenged us quite a lot to improve, to be more open, to be more accessible, Um, but he was so supportive of everything that we did and so keen for our community to thrive. Yeah, he'll be greatly missed. For me, Charles was um, quite a kind and intellectual man, actually. He was always probing, kind of um, new questions around different situations so he would come into the cafe um, maybe at 10am and leave at like 3, 3.30 and for the whole time he would be in absolutely um, kind of wild discussion with all of the people he really did try to get what other people were going through and spent a lot of time talking trying to figure it out um he was you know that was one of the reasons he came to the food hall and one of the reasons he thought it was really important was that he got to see and encounter people that he would otherwise be restricted from encountering so he found the beauty in that and really kind of took it by the horns came every single day and like met like you know must have been hundreds and hundreds of people Um, in a way Charles will live on in the minds of everyone because it's his information that he's managed to share with such a wide amount of people that there will always be a little bit of Charles and a little bit of Charles's intellect living on in the kind of like you know the kind of collective consciousness so he's not really dead.
4: Charles was a regular visitor to food hall who I spoke with I think almost every week since I've been volunteering over the last year and a half and he was a really really memorable guy. Um, We would have long conversations, they weren't just a kind of passing hi how you doing and we talked about some really difficult stuff. I think he enjoyed um, pushing my buttons, as he would say, and and, and playing devil's advocate sometimes and, and kind of jokingly doing things to wind me up. And I really enjoyed chatting with him um, about the things that he found interesting and learning, in parts a lot about his really interesting life. Um, he would come out with some surprising stuff, which I... I you know he would reveal more of himself to me about um his past flying planes for example and it would just you know every time some astounding fact about himself would come out um and yeah I'll remember him for his um loving antagonism (laughs) and for his love of custard um And for him just being a really constant warm presence in Food Hall for um, myself but also I know for a lot of other visitors and people who came into the
0: space.